0: Under either the Assembly or the Westminster franchise, Irish citizens who are resident in Northern Ireland for a particular period would be eligible to to vote. Um, So that isn't a difference between the two franchises. Where of course you'd go for a a new franchise, as it were, starting from scratch, then you would have to decide whether Irish citizens uh, would be eligible to, to, to vote or not.
1: Hello and welcome to this month's Aarons podcast. I'm Rory Montgomery. As everybody knows, the Good Friday Agreement, or Belfast Agreement, provides for a referendum in Northern Ireland and almost certainly a referendum in the Republic uh, on the question of a united Ireland. But the important question of who would get to vote in such referendums is open. So I'm glad to have with us today two of the co-authors of a recent Aaron's paper, The Franchise in Irish Unification Referendums. And they are Professor Chris McCrudden of Queen's University Belfast Law School and Professor Oren Doyle of Trinity College Dublin Law School. And the third co-author who isn't with us today is Professor David Kennedy from Trinity. So maybe, Chris, I can start with you. And you might say, what sort of objectives did you have in mind when you were undertaking this, this work?
0: Thanks, Rory. The, the purpose of the article was to expand somewhat on the uh, issues that arose in the context of uh, the UCL constitution units, uh, general assessments of the modalities of a referendum, uh, unity referendums, north and south. Um, And we we discovered that the franchise issue was somewhat more complicated um, than we felt able to deal with comprehensively in terms of our reasoning in the longer report. So we decided to publish this article um, separately to set out our our reasoning. And and the reason why it was complicated was because um, there is a requirement in the Belfast Good Friday Agreement that the people of Northern Ireland, quote unquote, should be those who are voting in any, in any unity referendum. And the problem is that the Good Friday Agreement doesn't go further than specifying that it should be the people of Northern Ireland, and the issue is who are the people of Northern Ireland for these purposes. And um, obviously in the context of there being two referendums, North and South, which we envisage to be the, the likely um, scenario, then the similar issue arises in, in the South as well. So. Uh, in brief, the purpose of the article is to try to explore um, who the people of Northern Ireland are for the purposes of, uh, of the vote, given the uncertainties in the agreement itself.
1: Thank you. And maybe, Oren, you might say uh, in the research, did you find that there were useful criteria present either in international law and practice or in the agreement itself?
2: So, so not, in the, not in the Belfast Good Friday Agreement, as Chris has said. So the phrase there is that the people of Northern Ireland get to decide the future of Northern Ireland in a unification referendum or a border poll, but it doesn't define the people of Northern Ireland. Now, there have been some suggestion in academic literature and commentary that some of the provisions of the agreement relating to citizenship and who is entitled to citizenship in Northern Ireland should sort of read read across to inform the concept of the people of Northern Ireland for the purposes of unification referendums. Uh, But we take the view in the paper that that's not uh, a sound reading of the agreement, that, that you just cannot do that read across for various ways in, um, in which the agreement is phrased, and so therefore the agreement leaves the matter at large as such, and you're left looking to other potential sources, and Chris perhaps might want to say a little bit about some of the international law criteria um, that could be helpful to working that out.
0: So, um, obviously, there's, there's a huge amount of international law, particularly in, in the human rights context, about the right to vote um, and about self-determination. And we looked at this really quite carefully. But in terms of the formal agreements, the binding agreements, the difficulties that we found ourselves in terms of defining who the people of Northern Ireland would be in this context w- were not particularly well dealt with or at least dealt with in detail neither in the agreements, in the international agreements, nor in, in the case law that, that arose from it. Um, so, But instead, um, we found that the uh, Venice Commission, which is this body um, set up by the um, Council of Europe to advise on constitutional matters, um, has come forward with what's sometimes called by lawyers soft law, that is um, recommendations, guidance on referendum franchises. And, and we drew on that pretty extensively. The main criterion that, that came out of it was uh, that um, you should be deciding the referendum uh, franchise well ahead of time, and in particular, that you shouldn't be uh, leaving it to the last moment because of that stage, it's much more likely that the politics is going to enter in um, and that there'll be temptations to um, construct the franchise depending on the answer that you want to get. And uh, for the purposes of legitimacy, we regard that as uh, as a very risky route to go on. So the main conclusion we drew from the um, the Venice Commission uh, recommendations was that there should be um, a discussion about this and a decision quite ahead of time about what the uh, criteria should be and what the ultimate franchise arrangements should be.
1: Thank you very much for that. Oren, would you like to say a few words about the situation in the, the South, uh, in the Irish state?
2: Um, yeah, sure. So the, the agreement itself doesn't specify that a referendum is required in the South. It just requires a democratic expression of consent. But we take the view, following on from the UCL report that we were co-authors of, that constitutional change would be required in the South to facilitate unification and therefore you would need a referendum of one type or another. And the possibilities are either a referendum to amend the current constitution or some new form of referendum or plebiscite to establish a new constitution. And so let me take each of those in turn because depending on which route is chosen, there are different implications for what the franchise would be. If the route were taken just to amend the current constitution, uh, then um, you would have to use the referendum and franchise rules under the current constitution, which is at present uh, that all citizens who are eligible to vote in elections to the Dáil uh, are eligible to vote in referendums. And the key criterion for eligibility to vote in elections to the Dáil is that you be resident in the country um, and that some small exceptions for diplomats and so on, which you, which you may well be familiar with, Rory, but that's the basic rule. And effectively, you're not meant to be out of the country for more than 18 months and continue retaining your eligibility to vote. Okay, So it's residency plus citizenship. If there Sorry, were... if, I, if I
1: may, how about... Sorry uh, to interrupt. Just, if I may, no. what's the situation of British um, citizens in living in, in, in the Republic?
2: Yeah, so, so that's important. So British citizens are allowed to vote in elections for the Dole, but they are not allowed to vote in referendums. Okay, So the Constitution, in fact, was amended in 1983 following a Supreme Court decision uh, to allow the franchise be extended to British citizens for Dole elections, but a very conscious decision was made not to extend that franchise for referendums. Basically, um, so British citizens who are not Irish citizens um, are not allowed to vote in constitutional referendums. So it will be limited to Irish citizens mm-hmm. who are resident in the state. And we make the assumption that if unification, if unification referendums were to be held, that would still be the position. It would be possible, of course, that the constitution could be men- amended in advance. To expand the franchise for referendums generally, but we take the view that that's probably unlikely to happen um, and we think it would be seen as a, a proxy, possibly seen as a proxy vote on unification itself that people might not want to get into. So I think if there's to be a referendum to amend the constitution, it would probably end up running under the existing rules with the existing franchise and this will become later when we look at how the Northern franchise might fit into that. If there's to be a new constitution, uh, well, for a new constitution, like new constitutions are made according to their own rules, they're sort of self-validating, is the way that uh, things usually go, and it could make up any franchise um, that is wanted. In effect, I think it would be. Again, this is a political judgment. That I'd be making is that it's probably going to be, if that approach were taken, then you would probably use a fairly similar franchise um, to the one that we have now. But perhaps it would be easier in that context to decide that you wanted to extend it to British citizens who are resident in the state, for example. So to sum up two possible approaches: referendum to amend the existing constitution, limited to Irish citizens who are resident in the state, or alternatively, a new constitution which could have a wider franchise.
1: Thank you very much indeed. Chris, turning to Northern Ireland, what are the main decisions that would have to be taken?
0: Well, the the first decision is whether essentially to go for an existing franchise, and there are two possibilities there, or to construct uh, an entirely new franchise. So, if you were to go for an entirely new franchise, then of course everything is on the table. So age, citizenship, prisoners, a whole string of all of the issues that are potentially relevant for deciding a franchise would be uh, would be up for grabs. So we, we may come to some of those in, in a moment, but the uh, alternative is to stick to one or other of the existing franchise arrangements. And as I said, there, there are basically two The first is the Westminster franchise. That is the franchise that's used for um, elections from Northern Ireland to Westminster Parliament. And the alternative is the franchise that's used for elections to the Northern Ireland Assembly uh, in Northern Ireland. And uh, one of the major differences there um, at the moment is that the Westminster franchise um, does not include EU citizens. Uh, whereas the assembly franchise does at the moment include EU citizens the um, the assembly franchise is rather complicatedly based on the district council franchise. so um, it looks like there are three franchises but actually the assembly and the district council have the same uh, the same basic franchise arrangements. So, as I said, the the ultimate choice is, do we go for an existing franchise, whether it be Westminster or uh, the Assembly, or whether we attempt to construct um, a new one? And the option, um, the the recommendations that, you know, we've made in the uh, in the article um, is that we um, should stick to the one or other of the existing franchise arrangements. Um, Why? Um, Well, Uh, Everything in in Northern Ireland becomes uh, intensely political very quickly, Um, and um, given the other kinds of issues that are going to arise in the context of a unity referendum, um, which would, um, uh, we know, be potentially controversial in many, many ways, this seemed uh, one issue that it might be worthwhile um, bracketing and regarding as as settled ahead of time. the the reason for that is that uh the sensitivity of the franchise uh, if you were to construct a new one would give rise to as i said multiple queries multiple questions as to who should be included Um, uh, and the decision would ultimately be the secretary of state's decision secretary of state for northern ireland so it would not be an assembly decision it would not be being made by the democratic representatives of the people of northern ireland um, and uh, that we think does give rise to some issues in terms of the legitimacy, or the perceived legitimacy, at least of the uh, of the decisions. So, given the controversy as to who would be making the decisions, it may well be sensible um, to stick to the uh, existing arrangements. And we can talk about those differences in uh, in, in more detail. But that's the basic choice.
1: Well, thank you. And is from a legal point of view, can you see any? arguments in, in favor of one or the other?
0: Well, it, it, certainly legal, legal political, if you like. Mm. So so one of the, the criteria that's important in the context of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement um, is the overall requirement that the sovereign power, whoever exercises the sovereign power in Northern Ireland, um, and at the moment, of course, that is the United Kingdom, should act with rigorous impartiality. Um, and and so that has never really been fully teased out, what the implications of it are. Um, but in this context, at least, um, it certainly gives rise to a, a significant constraint, which requires the, the United Kingdom, in deciding what the franchise should be, to act with rigorous impartiality. And so that has implications, for example, with regard to Irish citizens, uh, which, which we, we may come mm-hmm. on to. The other kind of legal consideration is not one that is particularly um, firm, but there is an argument that the the closer we can get to the um, assembly franchise, the closer that would be to the um, franchise that had been used um, in previous referendums on uh, unity in Northern Ireland. And so there'll be a consistency there. And the reason for that is that the guarantee for uh, Northern Ireland to be given the choice as to whether to remain in the United Kingdom or not is one that has has a long history to it. And it used to be um, a guarantee that the Northern Ireland Parliament would be able to vote on this rather than the people. But that's the origins of it. And so there is a degree of consistency, therefore, that would arise that if you made the assembly, which, of course, is the successor to the Northern Ireland Parliament, if you made that the assembly, if if you made the assembly, the franchise, it would be closer to the original idea of the Northern Ireland Parliament. Um, But as I say, I think that's a relevant consideration, but it's certainly not determinative.
1: I'm right in thinking, am I, that the 1998 referendum was on the Westminster franchise?
0: Yes, it was. For for reasons that that are not entirely clear to me, at least, the the major implication was that it excluded EU citizens at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the place of Irish citizens in regard to the franchise, and also as we've already discussed, there's the issue of EU citizens, uh, and of course I understand it again that under either the Westminster or or, or the Assembly franchises, Commonwealth citizens would have a right to vote as well. Do you want to to sort of tease those questions out a little bit? So
0: um, in, in terms of, of the three categories, under either the Assembly or the Westminster franchise, Irish citizens who are resident in Northern Ireland for a particular period would be eligible to, to vote. Um, so that isn't a difference between the two franchises. Where, of course, you'd go for a a new franchise, as it were, starting from scratch, then you would have to decide whether Irish citizens uh, would be eligible to to vote or not. Regarding EU citizens, I mean, clearly this is a a question that's still in flux, Mm. given Brexit. At the moment, the position is that, as you said, EU citizens do not and did not have the right to vote for parliamentary elections at Westminster. Um, but did have the right to vote both at district council elections in the assembly. And that remains the position for the, for the time being. There, there is clearly a question as to whether or not that franchise will be changed for the assembly and for district council elections um, in the future. And there's um, a query that I suspect will go to litigation uh, if that happens as to whether um, the, the removal of that right is consistent with um, the protocol, with the Northern Ireland protocol. Um, Regarding Commonwealth citizens, uh, again, that would be the case uh, that you would, Commonwealth citizens would be able to vote, where resident, of course, before either the Assembly or the uh, Westminster um, parliamentary constituencies. Uh, And of course, that that becomes really quite important, um, given um, the increased number of migrants into Northern Ireland from from various parts of the Commonwealth, as indeed is is the position with regard to EU citizens.
1: well thank you very much for that just to to ask the question I mean it's been touched on already but who actually makes the decision as to what the franchise should be or or how is the decision made maybe Oran in the south how is the decision
2: made in the south it will really sort of almost automatically follow so if the approach is a referendum to amend the existing constitution then then there will have to be then it's just the franchise under the existing constitution so there's almost there's no decision to be made now we do as i mentioned earlier consider in the article the possibility that there could be um, a referendum to enact a new constitution And then if that would happen, it would really be all up for grabs within that constitution-making process. But we take the view in the article, and people may disagree with this view, but our assessment in the article is that it's unlikely that you would see a new constitution being drafted to coincide with the moment of unification. There's very strong arguments that if unification is to occur, a new constitution into which all parties and people on the island can have a meaningful input to us, that that should happen. But it seemed to us that that's much more likely to happen sometime after unification than rather exactly at the unification moment, simply because there's just going to be so much else going on in terms of the unification decision that to be drafting an entire new constitution seems unlikely. So I think we take the view that it's far more likely that you'll have a referendum to amend the existing constitution, and then there's no decision to be made about the franchise. You're just sort of stuck with the franchise that we have which is really why a lot of this debate and the article itself is, this podcast discussion has been taken up with, well, then what choices would be made in Northern Ireland and who would be making those choices about the Northern franchise because the one in the South is effectively stuck and fixed by the existing constitution.
1: Chris, you mentioned earlier that the decision is one exclusively in legal terms for the Secretary of State. Uh, do you see the Assembly or other local uh, actors uh, having a say? And if so, how? So um, at the at the moment, I should
0: say, by the way, as a preliminary, all of this can be changed by parliamentary sovereignty um, in terms of the formal constitutional position. And so um, no, nothing that I've said so far um, is set in, in stone legally um, but, but assuming that the existing uh, arrangements under the um, Northern Ireland Act continue, then the Secretary of State makes the decision as to, as to who, who, who's able to vote. Um, so there is the potential, of course, for the Assembly to make suggestions, as it were, come up with recommendations as to who should vote if there is um, to be a new, a new franchise. The Secretary of State uh, under the current law, as far as I understand, would um, take that into account. But the decision is his or her alone, which means that the Assembly uh, recommendations, uh, however they're communicated, cannot be regarded as binding. And as I said, that that gives rise to um, some difficulty, um, given that the other element in the Good Friday Agreement is the strong obligation that there should be no external impediment to the exercise of the democratic right of self-determination on the island of Ireland. Um, and so it seems perhaps a little strange um, for a Secretary of State for Northern Ireland um, who is a member of the British Cabinet and is never uh, from Northern Ireland uh, would have the right would have the ability to determine who should vote for a uh, 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 unification given the, um, the idea that there shouldn't be an external impediment. And so that doesn't quite gel, um, but that's certainly the legal position at, at the moment. Um, the more, of course, you open up the question to new decisions, the, the, the greater the importance of the Secretary of State becomes. Um, and so the way um, ultimately to limit the Secretary of State's discretion here is to stick to one of the more firmly agreed um, and existing franchise arrangements, which is one of the reasons why we've we've gone in that direction.
1: Oren, let's say we were to go down the the roads which you've sketched out as being the most likely. In other words, um, the existing sort of constitutional uh, position in the, in the south governing the franchise, and Christopher, either the assembly or the uh, Westminster franchise. Uh, what would be the main differences between
2: North and, and South? Yes, yeah, so let me pick up on three or four, depending on how you classify these. Um, before talking about differences, just notice one tension, possibly. It's not so much a difference, uh, but it is quite possible that somebody could be legitimately entitled to vote in both jurisdictions, okay, so that somebody could be resident Uh, in both Northern Ireland, could meet the legal test for residency in both Northern Ireland and the South. And could be, perhaps the referendums have to be concurrent, not necessarily on the same day, but even if they're on the same day, these places are not far apart, Uh, you can get from one polling station to another. So there's possibly, there's an issue, uh, yeah, that's not an issue of difference, but perhaps possible coordination on how do you feel about that. Oddly, I think this probably depends on how you view the democratic exercise that is underway. So if your political perspective was that any unification on the island of Ireland is a question of two separate polities making an individual decision to come together, then you probably shouldn't be too troubled by the possibility that a A person who's a member of both polities gets a vote in each polity. Um, On the other hand, um, if your view is that this is an exercise of self-determination on the island of Ireland by a sort of pre-existing unitary Irish people, then the idea that somebody would get to vote twice in what's essentially one exercise of self-determination might be more troubling to you. So that's we we don't put forward any ideas to what the solution should be. We just merely identify that as an issue that people might like to think about. Um, it it sort of interested me. I don't want to attribute this to the other authors, but that you're the, the the sort of person who might be resident in both jurisdictions might be the sort of person who would think this is the exercise of a unitary right of self determination by the Irish people as a whole, and therefore shouldn't be wanting to vote twice. But that anyway, who knows. Uh, That's merely merely speculation.
1: But but, but politically, it's possible that they might see the advantage of voting twice. But they may
2: (laughs) politically, yes, they they might. uh, This a person who I'm imagining might have to wrestle with their conscience and their political preferences in both medium and long term. Sure. Anyway, um, then there's a couple of points of difference. Um, Prisoners are allowed to vote in the south. Uh, In effect, they've postal vote in what would have been their constituency um, if they weren't in prison. Uh, whereas, uh, so Ireland used to allow prisoners to vote, but it was, there was no political controversy in bringing Irish law in line with the judgment of the European Court of Human Rights as applied to the United Kingdom. That's much more controversial in the North where prisoners, um, as Chris has set out, are in many circumstances not allowed to vote. So there's a divergence there. The more significant divergence, I think, is one that we've touched on a little bit already, um, which is that uh, you need to be an Irish citizen, we're assuming, to vote in the South. Um, and being a so many British citizens on Ireland are also Irish citizens, mm. so of course that is fine. There's not an exclusion as such of British citizens, there's just a non inclusion of British citizens in the South. Um, But if we follow one of the existing franchises for the North, as is the recommendation of the paper, then Irish citizens in the North would be allowed to vote. And some people might think, you know, this is problematic. Why are non-British Irish citizens in the North allowed to vote on unification while non-Irish British citizens in the South Are unable to vote on unification. And that's a difficult one to reconcile, or like that's a difficult difference to, if you think that's a problematic difference, it's a difficult difference to eliminate. There was a suggestion by the previous Secretary of State for Northern Ireland in answer to a parliamentary question in the House of Commons back in 2019 that implied that Irish citizens would not in future be allowed to vote in UK referendums um, because, for this reason, that voting rights should be reciprocal and British citizens were not allowed to vote in Irish referendums. And that's not quite accurate as a statement of law. British citizens can vote in Irish referendums on things other than amending the Constitution. It's only constitutional referendums that they cannot vote on. But there's a more fundamental problem here, which is any attempt Or any decision, if you can imagine it, to exclude Irish citizens from the franchise in the North would be a straightforward breach of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement um, in our view. Uh, The agreement, Chris has referred to the clause, uh, requires whoever is the sovereign government in Northern Ireland to act with rigorous impartiality and on the basis of full respect for political equality. Um, At the same time, the agreement also guarantees, in our view, a right currently for Irish citizens not to have to take out British citizenship, um, and if unification were to occur for British citizens not to have to take out Irish citizens. So if the agreement guarantees that, uh, as we say it does, Irish citizens in the north must have full political equality then they have to be allowed to vote in a referendum, There can be no more obvious infringement of political equality to say to somebody that you cannot vote in a referendum on unification. So it, it may be that you know, the, the Secretary of State wasn't addressing this particular issue, they were talking about referendums in general. but if it implied any move on the part of UK government policy to exclude Irish citizens from a unification referendum, that would just be a straightforward breach of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement and uh, couldn't happen.
0: And just just to add a footnote on on that, Rory, if I may, um, the the reason why it's so problematic um, is because of the provision in the Belfast Good Friday Agreement, um, that the so-called birthright provision, that uh, guarantees uh, to those in in Northern Ireland the the choice as to whether to be regarded as British citizens or Irish citizens or both. Um, And so um, that's really quite important in this context because it means that those who choose to be Irish would then be disenfranchised despite the fact that the Belfast Agreement Guaranteed um, their right to choose in in uh, in the circumstances in in Northern Ireland, so it would be uh, and just to reinforce Oren's point. It would be therefore from our point of view um, a, a clear breach of the of the agreement. I, I think it was an unfortunate implication, if that was the, supposed to be the implication um, of the uh, of the parliamentary question, uh, uh, or at least the answer. Um, and I suspect it wouldn't. Um, really withstand the light of day. Um, but it is important that the problems with that be identified really as as quickly as possible so that it isn't pursued.
1: We're coming to the end of our time and um, I might ask you just briefly to well either sort of sum up what it is that you think is the, the main takeaway or the main takeaways from the article. But also, of course, there are three comments um, which are... Uh, on the articles, which are also published in um, on the website, and one of which suggests that maybe you're a bit conservative in your approach, uh, so perhaps maybe Oren first of all, and then Chris, if you have any kind of final comments to make on 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 those general points.
2: Um, yeah, sure. So we're we're very grateful to the three academic colleagues who commented on the paper, took the time to read it, and interestingly. Uh, They all sort of focused in on this issue and had slightly different things to say about it. So the critique is, um, just putting it into my own words, is that, yeah, this is a rather conservative approach to setting the franchise, and any unification referendum or referendums is the potential to be um, a new foundational moment for a new state. and We shouldn't shackle ourselves to the rules of the past. At that foundational moment, this scope to be much more have a much more inclusionary notion of who should vote. Should it be limited to citizens? Should you be more relaxed about residency and so on? Um, uh, and as a you know, uh, uh, that's a perfectly reasonable position to articulate. Um, the other commentators sort of took the opposite view, more or less strongly, of saying, "No, like." There's just so much going on here, there's so much scope for contentiousness, for disagreement, any decision that you make around the franchise is going to be interpreted by one side or the other as favoring them. And In order to get buy-in to the process, um, no matter how suboptimal you might think the current franchise is, um, it's better to run with one of the current franchises. and I think that's that's broadly where we come down. So we're very grateful for the critique and the responses, but I think we would still stand over the conclusion of the article in recommending the conservative approach, while hoping nonetheless that um irrespective of, of whether you agree with that recommendation that we're making, that people will find the analysis of the ins and outs of the legal position helpful nonetheless. And at least now people perhaps can have a more informed argument about whether you should take a conservative approach to franchise setting or not.
1: And Christopher, any final thoughts from, from you, including of course on the question which has come up earlier, the question of timing um, of a decision?
0: Well, just to follow up from from Oren's point, um, I mean there's a, a, a broader takeaway which we would hope um, from, from the article and that is that um, these kinds of questions and these kinds of decisions um, should be um, determined well in advance um, of any actual referendum. I mean, I, I should say, by the way, we, we uh, do not assume that there will be a referendum. Um, and uh, we're neither advocating one nor um, advocating against, uh, you know, our task as we, we gave to ourselves was to try to Work out some of the, um, the problems of modalities, but but the general point comes across that if you are going to have one, or if you envisage that one might be possible, then you want to have these um, decisions made um, sooner rather than later, and and that conforms with um, the Venice Commission's uh, recommendations as well. But it also conforms to common sense in the in the Northern Ireland uh, context. So. Um, Decide now, or at least um, have a, have a, a, a rational debate now. The, the second uh, sort of general point I think that that comes across is that although it appears very technical, and you know the ability to clear a room in thirty seconds talking about the franchise is very high, that it is actually a critical decision because you're essentially determining who the people of Northern Ireland are going to be, and who are they're going to be regarded, and that has the potential for very considerable disputes about identity uh, and we know uh, not least in recent days that problems of identity are um, at the heart of many of the disputes. So we're trying to bring a degree of rationality, uh, a degree of, um, as, as Oren said, conservatism in, into the process, realizing the potential for this um, to come, to become yet again a, a rather explosive issue.
1: Well, on on that cheerful but realistic note, we can bring this podcast to an end. Thank you very much indeed, Professor McCrudden and Professor Doyle. And I am confident that our listeners will not turn off this podcast after 30 seconds. Thank you very much indeed. It's a joint project of the Royal Irish Academy, the premier all-Ireland scholarly institution, and the Kew Norton Institute for Irish Studies at the University of Notre Dame's Kew School of Global Affairs. Its mission is to publish authoritative, independent and non-partisan analysis and research on constitutional, institutional and policy options for Ireland, North and South, in a post-Brexit context. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more and read the research in full on this and on all the other articles at aaronsproject.com. And my thanks to everybody for listening to this podcast.